0: Hello and welcome to the ALC Pan-African Radio's magazine program where we bring you highlights of news from across the African continent. Welcome to this edition of the magazine program with me, Monira Shaib and my producer, Alfred Motero. Today we are at the Hayward Gallery at the South Bank Centre, one of the biggest uh, art centres in London. The center uh, is in the southeast of London, where we are attending or covering an exhibition by Kader Atiyah, a French-Algerian artist. This is uh, the first time Atiyah exhibits his work in the UK. He has already exhibited in other parts of Europe, and uh, as well as Canada and Australia. And we will be talking to him later on in the program. But for now, we want to give you a flavor of his work. As we come in, on my left, there is a big portrait of an Algerian lady. She is from Oran, which is in the west of Algeria. And she is um, doing what looks like oriental dance dressed like an oriental dancer and she looks like she's doing it in a, in a bar with people, you know, giving her money and putting money on her clothes and stuff. To my right, there is a little bit of information uh, about the artists. He was born in 1970 and grew up in the suburbs of northeast Paris. Opposite, there is a big screen with a video of the fronts of what looks like estate housing, flats that are part of estate housing. By estate housing, we mean like block block housing where there are high-rises, where lots of people live, and uh, people who, who live in these blocks are mostly from poor backgrounds. The artist deals with this as part of what he calls control by Western societies of certain um, classes or working, the working classes of those societies and they are mostly of immigrant backgrounds and he thinks that it's part of the, the control that has been going on since the colonial period, if you like.
1: I'm actually in the investigation I did the last year on different processes of uh, post-colonial repressions. I came uh, into the fact that in the project, houses called the banlieue in France, you know, where most of the post-colonial migration has been um, ending, uh, the whole urban space has been designed as a process of control. Technically, it means that uh, instance you cannot get into a neighborhood without being seen uh it 's like a panopticon you can be seen from everywhere and you can see from uh, uh, from everywhere who is entering in the in the neighborhood and this is very strong because uh, it means that of um, obviously the the anonym, anonymi- anonym. i mean you you, you you stay anonymous but the anonymity is uh is controlled by the police and by the Yeah, by the police. And this is much before CCTV, you know. We talk about the 70s. -hmm. And then uh, there is a strong correlation with the way that racism, uh, I mean, state racism has been continuing within the ghetto of the project the same way it started, I mean, it was working in the colonial space. Mm -hmm. For instance, Islamophobia, Um, this fantasy about the black body, what I call fantasy is what is evoked in the film uh, The T.O.K.s when you, where you have five white uh, cops very strong with heavy wep- I mean with weapons I mean jumping on top of one black guy so they, like Olivier Marbeuf says there is this sort of fan- fanta- fantasy macabre fantasy mm-hmm. of fear, then phobia of the black body that on one hand during the colonial time was celebrated as strong, as, uh, I mean, French, art, French uh, military system has so much celebrated this so-called Tirailleurs Senegalés, you know, the black soldiers who, who were uh, fighting for France, like the Algerian Tirailleurs who were the North African one. The, the Tirailleurs Senegalés were, I mean, depicted in all the propaganda has very strong, in a very caricatural way. Strong muscles, white teeth, and uh, and and scary, etc. And this continued today in the psyche, as if I may to say so, travelled within generation of psyches until now. That the form of repression that black people are living in France, black boy especially, is is, is, is completely. I mean, based on on that uh, myth. Because the black body is a human body. If you put five guys on top of it, you break it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and the fact that police violence on, 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 on black bodies and on North African bodies is the same. Because it's also correlated with the cliche of what, what is the North African person. Like, uh, I don't have the English word, but in French you said about Algerian and North African people that they are fourbe. You know what means means? Four, Fourb means that you cannot trust them mm-hmm. and they can, and, but in the very hard way, it means that you, they can kill you with a knife, you know? You cannot trust them.
0: You have to be suspicious.
1: Yeah. And this continue until today. Even though the forbes are the French, the, the real Forbes are the French, that are mati- manipulating constantly the image of the others. But they put, they, they put the blame on the North African and on the Algerian especially. Mm-hmm. These guys are full. I are, cannot trust them. They're hypocrites. The French are like this. So you see, w- what I'm trying to do in my work is just to uh, reenact uh, also through the eyes of people like me, like racialized people you have in the film of the Theo case, the, the phenomenon of police, uh, I mean, the, norm- the normalization of police violence, of state violence, I mean, through a sort of uh, prospect that is, li- that is lived and, and deeply I mean in, I'm, I'm talking about, uh, about activists lived by pe- racialized people in the, in the neighborhood and that's why in this film you have Louisa Yusfi she created actually a broadcast TV for Algerian, after, she's, Algerian. she's Algerian she lives in Olnesubwa the, the, the city where Teo Luaka was beaten and raped by the police I mean penetrated with a trench and the police have destroyed the life of this guy you, you just have to imagine that these guys now still lives, lives in the project, and he has to come back every day. And everyone look at him mm-hmm. anyway. Louisa says, "What we don't see in the CCTV video of the arrestation of Theo is the is the is the noise. Mm-hmm. Cops talks to the young people in a very aggressive way. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't they insult them. Mm-hmm. They 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 humiliate them. And then when the we have big media like here in the UK, like the tabloid, you know. In France, you have big, massive media that are actually, um, how to say, um, supporting the, the cops in this case, saying that, no, look at the video, they are not say, doing nothing. So I was, very interested by, I was very interested by understanding and reveal what do we see as socialized people is not what the other people see.
0: You are listening to a special edition of ALC, Pan African radio magazine program. In his intimate photographic portrait of a group of Algerian trans, transgender sex workers living and working in Paris, Atia captures moments of elation experienced in the course of an otherwise precarious and difficult existence. In room two, you explore strong emotions such as joy, fear and humiliation as a way to heal rather than as a source of conflict. Um, my question was, first of all, how? Second of all, can you tell us a bit more about the Algerian uh, sex um, workers in France? Um, who are they? How did they become sex workers? What is the reaction of the Algerian community towards them, Algerian and African? And... Um, Algerian men are known for being so macho. How did this guy become uh, I mean, transgender?
1: It's, uh, as I told you, they arrived in the, at the end of the <coughs> 90s or mid-90s when Algeria was in a civil war and they were escaping, uh, I, m- I mean, not only Islamism, I, s- I think they were escaping violence because as marginalized people walking in the street, they, was, they were targets, you know, and nobody also would care about... Uh, uh, about them, because uh, so it's like this with marginalized people. You know, um, uh, you sometimes you heard about a homeless who has been killed because, and no, even the police do not care about uh, trying to find the family of this person. So, I think that uh, um, what is uh, what is very important to understand is that, um, as I said before, I was I was standing. I mean, amazed by the diversity of them, because they were really like Algerian people are very diverse. It's a huge country, and people are very different from the north to the south. You have white skin, black skin, uh, mixed. uh, um, You have uh, Berber, different languages of Berbers, Arab, which is an Algerian Arab. You have, uh, and I and and but. But there was a, 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 yeah, there was a kind of unity at the same time. I don't know how. And this is the unity that we see today, you see. But uh, it took us 20 years to see it today. And I think that, frankly, for me, it was um, uh, attracting in a the, in the good sense. I was very interested to uh, understand more about them. And uh, to finish with, I have to tell you that I was very impressed. Because... In that time, still I do, but you know I'm I'm less young now. But in that time, I used to hang out and walk a lot in the street by night, etc. And this neighborhood where they were walking were a very tough neighborhood with very violent young uh, macho guys. Uh, so and, uh, were
0: they transgender when they were in Algeria, or they did they, were they in become yeah, yeah. They transgender? Were in
1: mm-hmm. Most of them were in Algeria already transgender, and then they they, they escaped there because they wanted also to uh, to. Uh, yeah, to live uh, as women and uh, in Algerian society, it's, it's, it is not accepted. You know, mm-hmm. you know that Iran society do accept them more. There is in Iran. Uh, I mean, in Pakistan too. Mm-hmm. In Pakistan, there are the islas, but in Algeria, no. It's not Islam. It's also a very macho society. It's cultural. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. cultural. It's like I think Algerian and Sicilian are, are much closer. You see, mm-hmm. so it's kind of uh, very macho things, which is also hypocrite because in the macho society there is also sort of um, queerness. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, the, that for instance, in the case of the Algerian, I know that many of them were with um, very tough guys, very tough guys. Also sometimes even uh, some Islamist guys. Mm-hmm. So you see, it's, it's, it's very... A huge contrast. A huge contrast.
0: This is room four. A bit of information in this room. And it says, for much of his career, he has made art and explores the politics of Western museums. And a quote from him, I have always been interested in staging the obsession, what he calls the obsession of the Western modern mind, to organize the universe, explains the artist. My work specifically that which deals with museums is looking for a way we can escape
1: this. Here we go back into the past and the way that uh, colonialism of the non-Western world has been possible because of an agenda. And this agenda was born into the, the century of modernity when, the, when, when, when philosophers started to... I mean, separate the the God, the religion, and uh, and the society. Uh, they started also to uh, apply this uh, concept of the of the of the society of the world to the others, is them, you know. And this and, and, and that's why I'm very interested because uh, uh, what I'm this this sentence actually is the archaeology of colonization.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also in this same room um, is the concept of mirrors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 not long. The mirrors and masks and um, what you call the still under-acknowledged influence of African art. You spent time in both the Congo and Senegal. What were your impressions? What took you there, first of all? And second, what were your impressions? And why do you think African art is still under-appreciated?
1: I mean, I went there because, I mean... um because of uh, something that is in the end not, not that important. What is important is the, the, the shock, the positive shock I got there. I discovered really like this sort of complexity of uh, the others. And uh, from North Africa to Europe, I thought that Sub Saharan Africa was completely uh, uh, um, primitivized, if I may. And I, because I found society that they were uh, smart, uh, fine. Um, complex um, and, life. and also mm-hmm. that has given to the West culture so much. So, of course, many people tell you, oh, but we knew about the influence of African masks to Pablo Picasso. They never spoke about this officially. I did in 2009 when there was this exhibition in Paris called Picasso and the Masters that I visited twice, and they were not African masks in the whole exhibition, but they were all the painters that we know. And then I wrote a text, and I did the mask mirror, because I wanted to show to the audience in a very simple way the reflection of their face into a surface that has been sculpted by an African anonymous artist and which actually was cubist before cubism. Mm-hmm. So Picasso, because he was a genius, had this ability yeah. to look at African masks and see... art. Mm-hmm. Work of art and how, how genius, because here now the perspective is not only one uh, landscape, it's all the landscape. That's it, and, and, but I did it, and, that's, and I did it in 2009. Now we talk about restitution, but I mean, I did it in 2009 because in that time, it was almost 10 years ago now, and I, I mean, I remember that so many people in Paris were telling me, oh, colonization is over, what are you talking about this? Why, why? I mean, these people have got their independence.
0: And in this room, uh, we are in room six, by the way, there are lots of videos of people that look from, they look like uh, they are from a part of Asia, and there are chairs with uh, with amputated limbs, uh, amputated legs. They're called Shifting Borders, comprised of three separate videos and a series of uncanny cultural elements. In these videos, he explores personal and collective trauma and the legacy of violent conflict in East and Southeast Asia. One of the main traumatic events that this work deals with is the 1980 Gwangju uprising in South Korea, in which more than 600 people, many of them students, were killed by government troops. Atia elaborates on the relationship between contemporary Western medicine and traditional healing practices, uh, in particular those that deal with mental illness. Atiyah's research in this area, a key subject for the artist, took him to Dakar, Senegal, where he witnessed an ancient healing ceremony called Ndup in which the horns of sacrificial goats and sheep form the centerpiece of a ritual that involves the whole community.
1: Trauma in the last room that is expressed in a movie that goes back and forth between Vietnam and South Korea is a... how to say... is actually... is exploring the way that one society which embraced capitalism, liberalism has been trying to hide is a shamanic culture although the communist one, which was, I'm not communist, but uh, I have to say that I've been impressed that Vietnam has been able to after they banned uh, uh, one ritual called the Lang Dong in 1985, during ten years after the war, they finally accepted that this was culture so in Vietnam it is more clear that shamanism traditional healings, mysticism, I don't like this word, but they use it in terms of uh, sometimes animism, it's part of the society. Mm -hmm. In South Korea, no, it exists, but it's denied.
0: But you also explore it in Africa, how Africans have ways of healing a person from trauma. I mean,
1: mean, for Africa, you really need to see my work called uh, The Field of Emotion. It's about 18 Where I have interviewed psychoanalysts, historians, traditional healers, priests, imams, rabbin, philosophers, uh, and I mean people uh, about madness in Africa and in the West, in Senegal, in Malawi, in Cameroon, in Mali, in Algeria, in, uh, in Morocco. And then you have all these. These conceptions that are very, yeah, very different. Yeah. Yeah, very, I mean, even I have interviewed psychiatrists in Africa, like Momar Gay, like Jacques Philippe Salat Salah. I mean, which was probably what interests me the most because I think African psychiatrists and psychoanalysts living there, maybe also living abroad, but from the one I, I've, I've seen living there, they have something. Uh, more powerful than the, the Western white people, in terms of how to deal with uh, beliefs and how to accept. It's not. I'm not saying that they are believing when someone uh, a family bring a, a relative and says, "No, it's possessed." I'm not saying that they are believing that the ancestor possessed the body, but but just that they know the grammar. They incorporate the they
0: culture, incorporate. the tradition.
1: Of course, there are also white, I mean, Western um, psychiatrists and psychoanalysts who work with tradi- ther- tradi- therapist, traditional therapists. This is what we call ethnography, to, uh, no, ethno-psychiatry today. But it's not, I'm not talking about ethno-psychiatry, I'm talking about philosophy. I think uh, th- Africana philosophy, when it melts into uh, psychiatry, psychoanalysis, uh, produces good results is very powerful yeah. effective. Efe- thank efe- effective thank you very thank much.
0: You thank you. much thank you so much Thank you. <laughs> that was Kader Atiyah the French Algerian artist exhibiting his work for the first time in the United Kingdom the exhibition is called The Museum of Emotion for this and other programs please visit our website at alcpanafricanradio.com You can follow us on Twitter at Radio ALC and on Facebook at African Leadership Center.